Hello everyone, welcome to Hail Reaper. My name is Philip, and this is your Lightbringer Q&A with Red Rising author, Pierce Brown. Pierce was very generous with his insights and offered an amazing POV scenario that I know you'll enjoy hearing about. This episode also features Janelle, our community ambassador. And the questions you'll hear were asked by members of our private Discord, which you can join by becoming one of our patrons. Look for the link in the description. This was the first thing we recorded after we got settled into the studio, and it definitely shows. There's a lot of laughter and joking around with each other, but in the midst of all that, Pierce still provides incredible depth to his world. Lightbringer spoilers ahead. Thanks for listening and enjoy the episode. In Lightbringer, Darrow goes through Cassie's room, finding some personal trinkets. Did you invent background stories for all of these as you thought of them? Um, in writing Lightbringer and writing the series itself, there's a lot of things that don't get onto the page. So some of the things had already existed before we came into that room and was from material that was then redacted from the final copies mm. or the final uh, drafts. And so some of them already had stories and other ones were then created in the room mm. as I then put together what... Cassius would, what was important for him to keep on to? What would a man like Cassius keep hold of um, that reflected his character, but also what would be surprising that he has? And what could also perhaps be used later on as little little seeds to sow? Um, so some of them uh, already existed and then some were created on the spot. Ooh, is that, ooh I kind of want to know which one. <laughs> now so, I'm going to go look back at the items. Follow up on that. I know that some authors... I don't know if you call it a journal or like a spreadsheet, but they keep all the kind of backstory and factual information hmm. about all the characters. Do you honestly keep it up here? Or is yeah, it I, wish right I, I wish I did that. You know, I have that, I have that notion. My sister... <laughs> He's like, I should. I should, but the ship sailed, man. Uh, my sister gives me these beautiful leather-bound notebooks every year for Christmas. And so I have, you know, journals started that I run keeping track of all the characters. But then I am sorting through like, you know, nine of these journals trying to find it. Mm. And so usually, excitement and impatience wins out and so I don't reference even when I do try to keep notes. So okay. I have a lot of I would say I've started more uh, notebooks trying to organize it than I have actually uh, started new books you know sometimes like because you always have projects that you launch into and you're very excited about them. You're like, hey, I don't have time for this or oh, I should be finishing the series and <laughs> so I have all these I have all these I have these noble attempts and by the time I'm done like organizing it and codifying things I've like already lost the the energy to to, to create an accurate uh, journal for them I'm so I have cer certain things you know and that's actually how I started the series is I had one very very detailed one for Darrow, okay. even going into what his favorite food was, mm -hmm. uh, what he does when he has free time, what his aspirations are. And it was like, I don't know, 50 questions mm. that I was answering for him. And I did that with several of the characters. And then I got too impatient to write, uh, to, that, too impatient to do that. So I had to start writing. You felt like you maybe had to integrate those later. And you're like, that's not really the story. I often, just, often yeah. yeah. And I just get a lot of times when I am diving into that, what it does uh, what the characters like and keeping track of their possessions and things like that, I sink into the world and I just get more so excited to tell the story. Yeah. And I honestly started Red Rising with telling a history of the colonization, the history of the Third World War. Um, it wasn't ever meant to be in the book, but it was creating a um, history for myself. And then I 
very quickly jumped off that into the story when I found that line or wrote the line of there's a flower that grows on Mars. Mm -hmm. Um, and from then on it was just off to the races. So it's kind of like that every time, as soon as I start being organized, I'm like, well, I have information now I need to use it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's it would great. be better yeah. if I have a notebook. Then Reddit yeah. would have less to talk I, about. That's what no, you have sure an editor Blair for. Blair will help yeah. you with that yeah. one. Yeah. Yeah, that's what editors <laughs> are oh, for. Blair would help me, yeah. but I'm a, little, I'm a little brother and I can't be controlled. Oh, I Nor would you. I. So even that, even that comment gives me hives. Mm. Blair could help. No, 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 no. no. I've been doing all right. She can try. No, 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 no systems for me. In that vein, this question is from Sub-Zero. She's our master namer of the Strawberry Rising. All right. And she wants to know, would you be able to share some of the several POV chapters that you scrapped share right now like describe what they are or share there was um, to the audience yeah share or Uh, you can describe right now i like both well i I won't (laughs) just also give a few hints there was uh severo's time on luna was not all in a cage and there was for me uh, an alternate reality where he was employed by uh the clone to hunt down Atlas Aura, who was on, on Moon and uh, attacking <laughs> attacking the food stores. And so the only answer for Atlas, because early, I think in Dark Age, uh, Darrow even says that the only answer I've ever had for Atlas is Severo. And even Severo has a hard time with Atlas. And the clone knows that the only you know special forces operator who could probably get Atlas in the cityscape that is Luna is Severo. And so mm. he holds Clown and Pebble and then so you start with Severo on the hunt. You have five, four or five chapters with him uh, seek, uh, investigating, uh, searching for, and then um, fighting Atlas Aura. So it's Batman and Severo just become one thing. Kind of. Yeah, yeah. that's cool. <laughs> uh, I think the first, um, the first line is, I perch on the side of the skyscraper clad in... Um, electric steel and then he like oh. slides down Wait, are you referencing artwork? that image yeah right? that artwork yeah, yeah that was, so that was the that was what i wrote um, based off J- uh, james wong i believe uh did that justin wong. justin wong justin yeah, wong did that and it was one of my the first piece that i saw of red rising art that i found was like completely in world um it was exactly what i had in my imagination when several was first on luna yeah and so uh that was the beginning and it was a pretty fun sequence but i found that it didn't really match the rest of the book and that was part of the big rewrite i did Tonally, it's you know he said it's Darrow's story, it's Darrow and Lysander, and it's that would story. that would be like a story within the story almost, yeah. right? And it would feel kind of out of place. I can see that. Yeah, but really interesting to hear about. Oh, I love it was, that. Yeah, yeah, it was an interesting couple of weeks or months when I was working on that. Mm-hmm. That was in the heart of COVID. Yeah, I like that. Once we hit the multiverse, you're ready. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> Are there any plans to release those as like a novella or well, just the, like a little the, Easter egg? The difficulty is I'm not sure that it actually happened okay because i think it does change it does good in the multiverse territory and so if if i release it then it had to have actually happened i'd have to see how that factors into the story Mm -hmm. and when i'm creating book seven i need that to still be fluid so if i did release it it would be after book seven after i've made that decision it's kind of a weird thing to share right Mm -hmm. um because it is very different what you think uh, several would be doing in his time but i also thought that made it really compelling because he was pressed into service of the clone so i don't know it would it all depends on the grand strategy and also then it would have to be edited and, you know, it's pretty, uh, there's some really fun stuff in there, but it also would need a heavy dose of editing to get to the quality of the rest of the series. In that vein, there was a part where um, 
I think it was Kavix talking to Virginia. She was like, imagine the worst and it's true. That was in reference to Obama and Adrius, right? I think pretty clearly. Yeah. Yeah. Very yeah. Clearly. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, is there a reason that um, she's working with him given, you know, the abomination that she was, he was in Dark Age? Gosh, I guess you have to read book seven. <laughs> it, was good, it was a good try. It was a good try. It was a good try. Yeah. Yeah. It was a good try. I already gave you an Look, answer. Risk taker. Yeah, okay? risk taker. I get it, I get it. <laughs> These damn coppers. <laughs> How does it end? Yeah, yeah. She'll sign an NDA. Yeah. Yeah. I did sign one. Will they? No, no, they're not going to. Yeah. All right. So this next question is from Dash. He is. Um, a copper also, and one of my mentors, so. Oh, cool. And we'll big, treat him with kid gloves. There you go. Big yeah. story. Yeah. <laughs> okay, one of my favorite aspects of the Red Rising saga is how you're able to write something that, although buttressed by a deep appreciation of world history, can still stand on its own as fresh and original. In the first trilogy, the docks of Ganymede, as Patton's march to Moscow realized, is a perfect example of this balance. However, with Lightbringer, it seems like the approach is not just limited to historical events, but also figures. With Lysander, uh, Lysander's arc becoming incredibly similar to that of Brutus, the infamous man who stabbed Julius Caesar. As a writer, do you find more inspiration in the great sweep of history itself or the individuals that move the gears? Both. I find uh, the theory the theory of history, I mean, there's uh, competing theories of history, um, whether it's the tides of history that uh, uh, shape our events and shape history itself, these great forces that are in movements that then find uh, they're kind of anthropomorphized in one figure, or is it the figures themselves? So is it the tides of history, these uh, uh, you know movements, or is it an individual that shapes uh, history as we know it? Mm -hmm. So is Napoleon was in, uh, Napoleon inevitable after the French Revolution, or did Napoleon, um, through sheer willpower and genius, come to being and shape the history of France, the history of Europe during that time period? And so I find that interesting to sometimes explore within it. So I think they're very much interlinked. Um, I'm attracted to the um, the personalities in history. I mean, one of my favorite things to read is Plutarch's Lives, which compares great Roman lives to great Greek lives mm. in essays. He wrote them in like, I don't know, 150 AD, so not too far separated uh, from them. And he wrote it for a Greek and a Roman audience. And I found those essays really interesting because he dives into their personalities in a way that most historical texts don't, usually because we're too separated. But those things almost read like New Yorker articles. And so you get to know the people better. So that aspect of history is really fun for me to explore. But I think that they, in Red Rising, I really like going and doing both of those things. But honestly, I would say that I never even thought of Lysander as Brutus. Really? And, and so... I always thought of Lysander as more of a Octavius, uh, Octavius Caesar, hmm. um, the nephew of Caesar that became his heir and then became Augustus. Um, Lysander is very clinical, very socially kind of does what he needs to do, but isn't really enjoying it. Like Caesar was a man of the people. Julius Caesar, yeah. like you had to hide your wives. He was <laughs> he was notorious. He was notorious for sleeping with all of his friends' wives. He was notorious for being one of the best-dressed men in Rome. He changed how people wore their togas. He spent money prolifically. He was an incredible personality, whereas Octavius was very buttoned down and very prim and proper and brought all these morality codes to Rome. 
because he saw Rome slipping into a degree of decadence, moral decadence. And so he brought in these morality codes, which is kind of what Lysander's trying to do. Mm-hmm. So the Brutus comparison I find to be kind of interesting mm-hmm. and um, not necessarily wrong, but not necessarily one I was thinking of when creating the character. Yeah, I think that um, when he explained it to me, it was just that Brutus' internal struggle with, um, before stabbing him, like, this is my friend, should I do this, or for the good of Rome? Sure, but if we really look at Brutus's character, Brutus was a pure Republican. He believed in the Senate, he believed in Republican rule, um, and he was doing it to kill a tyrant. You know, six semper tyrannis. Um, that was Brutus's credo. And so Lysander is almost the complete opposite. Mm-hmm. Um, and he is actually a tyrant, right? <laughs> and so internally, he's the complete opposite of Brutus, even though both think they're morally virtuous. Right. Yeah, so, uh, but there's, there's, there's characters all throughout the series which people um, think are mirrors of people in history, but are actually compilations of, of, of several different people. No one's meant to be an actual, um, um, uh, I don't know, say doppelganger of any character. I think they all borrow traits or borrow little moments um, that I really like. So in for Lysander, um, outside of the person you mentioned, is there any other um, historical figures that you feel like shaped him? Um, Augustus was always my intention. He was meant to be kind of a, um, a shadow of Augustus. The slight hints, I think also... Um, there were a couple, like a couple moments from other car- uh, other people in history that I drew on. Uh, for instance, um, he's meant to have shades of Sulla in him, um, uh, Cornelius Sulla, who is uh, the, one of the men in like 80 BC or 60 BC, who uh, did the kind of the political cleansing in Rome. He killed all of anyone who didn't agree with him. And he was the um, opposite Gaius Marius, who was his mentor kind of. And he was the, you know, an amazing general. And he uh, basically put Rome under a martial dictatorship and then purged everyone who was politically not aligned with him. And Atalantia is meant to be more of a reflection of him with Lysander having small traits that are linked to him. I mean, he was also famous for having a uh, strawberry colored birthmark on his face. <laughs> and strawberry. for me, that was, that was Lysander's burn. So there's... Oh, oh nice. you're saying so it's shaped like a strawberry. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, it's wishful thinking. Yeah, uh, more, more so like color. Uh, he had like a, like a big birthmark, yeah. I'm going to say it's shaped. <laughs> shaped like a strawberry, okay. Uh, you know, or I might be remembering wrong. So it could have been shaped and uh, colored and maybe even tasted like a strawberry. We'll okay. consult the unfinished journals and find yeah. out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's all you blank. have to read through my library, man. I'm not taking that task out. I got a book to write. That's right. <laughs> so it's, now that we're talking about strawberries, I've been wanting to ask you, like, what is a Roman strawberry? What do you mean? I think there was a section in a book and I was like, my favorite Roman strawberry. Oh, that, that's Sulla. So oh, there uh, you go. he also had reddish hair. Um, and mm-hmm. so they made fun of him for looking kind of like a Celt, even though he's from one of the oldest Roman families. I swear, I like looked this up and I'm like, I was so confused. I'm yeah. like, is that the strawberry so, rising? No, so uh, <laughs> that, that was actually a good, good memory. That was actually Atlanta directly uh, referring to uh, Sulla. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Oh. See, I do remember eggs. things. Yeah. So I forgot tell my that boss that? Yeah. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Okay, let's move on. Um, so we were talking about... Um, like the mass genocide of Rome. So in there, this question comes from Maestro Tracker. And what was the inspiration for the Edimi? 
the genocide device? Um, it sem- it, the inspiration, I don't think there was one that I drew on. It simply seemed as though if the Golds created something, they would have a control mechanism built in. And I think it also shows their hubris. I mean, if you're creating the colors, then don't you also think that you would create the power to destroy them? Uh, it seems to make a lot of sense uh, logically in world. And so that's where it came from. Mm. And I think there's that line in Dune, um, whoever has the power to destroy something controls it. And that's where that, right, that, that kind of thematic understanding is where Eidme came from. Thank you. Eidme. Okay. Eidme. Eidme. <laughs> what We're did on I, the same I page. said? Eidme. 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 Yeah. <laughs> it is tricky. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. you think there's like an extra I in there. Yeah. Yeah. Eidme. Yeah. yeah. We'll, we'll flash a pronunciation guide up on the screen. Right <laughs> yeah, now. It's, it's going to be like sure. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah, I think that like the first time I said glorastes, that was that was a beautiful Glorastes. pronunciation. You, well, you nailed it now. Oh, yeah, look at how you got ridiculed. What, really <laughs> what did you initially call him? Glitterastes? <laughs> I mean, I love glitter. He's just like glitter. He's orange glitters. <laughs> I remember when I had uh, Harry Potter in like seventh, sixth grade, fifth grade, fifth grade is under Harry Potter. I was like, Hermione? Yeah. Oh, my, same. Hermione, you know, I had no idea because the movies didn't exist yet, so I didn't know how to say it. No one in my school had read it, so I was just, in my head, it was all murdered. Oh was, my. And then the one I had trouble with was Ori, or Ori. Ori, or, or, yeah, Ori? I, Ori? Ori? Ori. Ori. Okay. Oops, I, yeah, I had so much trouble with that. Like when I was, I was understandable. Like, yeah. like what I do for the audiobooks is I have to go through and then pronounce all these words. Yeah. And sometimes, like for some books like Dark Age, I'd uh, it took an hour and a half call of going through and uh, oh doing all the words because they oh wanted yeah. to get yeah. it correct. And they have four uh-huh. different five, four different narrators for that one. And so sometimes we'd get to a word and I'd be like, "Are you sure that's in the book?" <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember that. I don't know. And then, but sometimes also the the people ask me the questions are they work for the audiobook company and they're often better educated than I am. And mm. so sometimes they're like, "Is this?" traditional uh, Greek pronunciation. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is that where Sounds you were right. like, who is Cassius? I don't remember writing someone oh, like and for that. Me, and for me, it's always Cassius. You know? yeah. 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 yeah, Cassius is how you pronounce it, but I like Cassius. Yeah. But, you know, Achilles is Achilles, right? It, re- it, it should be, yeah. Mm-hmm. But we say Achilles, so. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I've been saying that the whole time. It's okay, you know. <laughs> you know, there's two kinds of friends. There's the friends that say they went to Paris, and there's the friends that said they went to Paris. Paris. And the ones that went to Paris were are technically correct, but also are very annoying. <laughs> yes, they are. Like that friend. Yeah, yeah. that friend. Right? Yeah. <laughs> you, you can call it Marseille, but don't yeah. call it Paris. So you do the pronunciations via phone, or do you just pre-record them? No, I do and it send via, them off? Oh, no, via phone, and then they create a. Um, a template for the, like phonetically or something on their yeah, side. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. I've been saying Edme for There's so also, long. I'm so oh. glad you said Edme. I'm like, oh, oh I know. I said Edme. <laughs> I said Edme. Edme. Yeah. Watch me be wrong and you guys be right. But it's no, like Cassie. I'm sticking to my it's, guns. You're the author. You're good. We 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 it's follow my world. you. This yes, is the future. Yeah. It's <laughs> in the future. <laughs> it's the future. Yeah. 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 All right. Let's move on to this question. Comes from affable affable Batty. If Cassius did love and have a happily ever after, would he, could he, and Lyria possibly be a romantic couple and possibly have their own Severo child? <laughs> you knew you were going to get these, right? Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> like, they're being shipped. You know, they can be shipped. That's fine. I think that their chemistry was one based in friendship, whether it would grow to attraction, possibly. But I don't think that either one of them would consciously know that at any point in the story. 
it might be the case of having a little bit of a crush, but I don't think that I could answer that without actually writing what their lives, what their interactions mm -hmm. would be. I didn't know they would be friends. Mm. Uh, then I saw them on a page together, and I'm like, oh, this is hilarious. Because <laughs> I just little eclipse. Now they're drinking buddies. Yeah. Because yeah. I, I was, it was, it was starting to happen mm -hmm. when uh, Cassius, uh, when Leary was in the sack. And she pees on Severo, and I'm like, oh, Cassius would love funny. that. And oh, so yeah. I had him yeah. just like dying in that scene. He's a little tipsy, right? Mm -hmm. And he's just laughing his ass off in that scene. And then I thought of when they're standing in front of, uh, in the doorway together after um, Leary is showered, I thought, oh, wait, he, she doesn't know really anything about him. Mm -hmm. And for Cassius, that's a rare thing. Yeah, you know, well, he thinks a, that, right? And he thinks that, he yeah. assumes that, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. And she's been a gamma whole life. So people have always prejudged her. And so from, it just came alive in that moment. And then I realized they'd be the bestest. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's actually like super beautiful for Cassius I, to have like that clean slate and to see someone from red eyes. Yeah. yeah it really worked. It mm -hmm. really worked on page. I was very happy about finding that. And that's, yeah. that's why I don't like outlining. I like the mm -hmm. act of discovery. <laughs> just the, yeah. So there's a line, Pierce, that really gripped me, like with between the two of them. It was, um, I think it's, I'm your shield, stay in my shadow. And I was just like, it, everything blurred. And it was just that one sentence that I, I felt like when they're trying to, trying to get um, Lyria to Volga. Mm -hmm. And I was like, that summarizes their entire relationship to me. It's like, I'm your shield, stay in my shadow. But I think that for me, that unlocked a lot of Cassius's last 10 years as well. Mm -hmm. Like it explained who he's, tr not trying to be, who he has been. And, and I think for me, I saw their relationship as something that, She's a low color. And in chapter four, you tell us through Cassius that he swore an oath to protect the low colors uh, to make up for Ares. Mm -hmm. And I saw that. So I saw his relationship with Lyria almost as he has a huge affinity for low colors and he, mm -hmm. he gets them. He likes them. He mm -hmm. and, he, and he has an oath to them. So I, was th I never saw the romantic side, but I thought yeah. he's the shield. He's the sh he stay in my shadow to her. Yeah. It, it's almost surprising how he has such an affinity for low colors, but look how quick he was to befriend the... The, the dregs, even though he made, yeah. gave him shitty names. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the best names. Yeah, yeah. the best, best names, but, yeah. you know, what the hell, man? Like, who are you to give me a name, like, right off the bat? I mean, like, yeah. Pebble, Clown, Weed, Harvey, yeah. Thistle. Like, fuck you, dude. Yeah. Um, but that's kind of, you can't help but like Cassius. Yes. And because he, he also, I think he's lived his whole life without, with responding to people, because he knows he can't help people can't help but like him. Yes. And so he's just more able to connect with people. And, mm -hmm. you know, the affinity for low colors was something um, that really resonated with me. And I'm glad that line resonated with you yes, because I reworked time. that line multiple times oh, to try nice. to get it right. Yeah. It just couldn't get it to, to work. And then I just made it, I clipped off a lot and then just wrote mm -hmm. the, I'm It's so shoe. subtle and so short and it's just, but it's, it really is like, there's a majesty to Thanks, it. Thanks, man. It's Thank beautiful. You. I Thank loved you. it. I, I, well, this whole, I mean, I could talk, with you, we can do a whole thing. Oh, on keep Cassius. going! I love this. Yes. We are going to film. Yeah, I know. Cassius. I was gonna offer a Kleenex for this guy. Yeah, no, like, uh, I'll tear up talking about some of this stuff. He, he became my favorite fictional character of all time. Oh, really? In this book, like, I have a Batman tattoo in my whole leg. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I, I have like other. I have Aslan right here. I have Bulgy Bear from Narnia right here. I have these these things that I thought were so big to me, and then in this book, you just came over the top and just smashed Cassius on my head, and I was like, I, I've always loved him, and then it just became yes. like this inescapable affinity that I can't, I can't get away from it. I think about him all the time. When I was younger, uh, I liked a lot of stuff, but it, 
there was something about Luke Skywalker, even though he's not why I watch Star Wars. You know, Han Solo yeah. is my favorite character. Oh, Han, yeah. But Easy. there's something about Luke trying <laughs> so mm-hmm. hard. And then, you know, <laughs> the pluck, right? The struggler. And say no to Darth Vader. And when he said no to mm-hmm. Darth Vader and then decides to jump, Instead mm-hmm. of go with Vader, that's when I started latching on to him is that in, on that level. And yeah. I would always, in the ex- Expanded Universe books, I'd always be thinking, what's Luke up to? Yeah. And, you know, and also, what, Luke, what decision would Luke make here Ooh. in my life? I'm, yeah. I'm right there with you on that Cassius wave. That's, yeah. like, that's how I think about the series now. Well, may I suggest not getting tattoo and instead going for a chin implant? <laughs> <laughs> or I could pose for a coin. Or, I mean, the Cassius or chin, the Cassius yeah. chin. We come back. You look, the chin you should do it. You have to yeah. show him the Batman on film eagle? right now. I would have to pull my pants down. I'm not really about that. <laughs> Maybe for the second part of the interview. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I know. Maybe be about be good for that soon. A very nice pair of boxers on, but still. <laughs> still. Okay, Did you know before you okay. came prepared? He yeah, knew he was yeah, drop yeah. and draw. You said if, Cassius. I haven't finished the book, so what do you mean if? Don't say it. Okay, so <laughs> He's still in Iron Gold. He's I like, do, yeah, I'm almost done with Iron politics. Gold. Politics. <laughs> I should start Dark Age next week. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I do want to tell you, Pierce, like, I, you gave us the arcs, and thank you again for giving mm-hmm. us the opportunity to read this in advance, but that, you know, it's a gift and a curse because I was You'd sitting no on talk this, to about it. Yeah. and we, these boys these guys, yeah. were like, I read it. I we, she finished it before we did. I oh, finished before, did. so I'm like, yeah. did you read it? Uh, did you finish? And they're yeah. like, no. I'm like, I need to talk I'm to you. my time. <laughs> you gotta have someone to talk to, don't you? But you also got to take your time. Yeah. You know, I finished. We took our time. Yeah, yeah. I finished the last Harry yeah. Potter in seven hours, like the last Game of Thrones mm-hmm. that was out. I finished in like two days. And when it was done, I was quite sad that I'd sped through it so fast. You know, that, took I, me, that book took me forever to read. The last, um, what is Dance of Dragons? Dance of Dragons. Oh, it took me forever to read that book. Yeah. Why? About of choice or out of uh, pacing issues? I just life work, just the oh, work-life yeah. balance, trying to make sure I could fit it in. But it, like the other ones I just blitzed through. Yeah. But that one just took me, like, just life was just crazy right there. There was something so nice when you get done with your work and then you know a book is waiting for you. Yeah. And you're like, you're halfway through. I read it, it at my lunch breaks, too. Oh, I so. love that. Yeah. Oh, well, see, I ignore my work and have the nice book waiting for me. <laughs> yeah, you don't know. The book isn't waiting for you. The book is like, you're immediately, immediately. I'm waiting for the book. I know what I'm doing for the next 12 hours. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that was a, that was really funny. Fun for me, too. But when they finally got that. Well, <laughs> we were, oh, we were recording. So the way we did this was so weird because we never had to read a book like this, but we wanted to read a part. We read the book in parts. So mm. we like would read part one and then we'd podcast and we'd just give our instant oh, so reactions. You wouldn't, you wouldn't do the podcast. You wouldn't read ahead. Mm-hmm. Oh no. We yeah. wanted to force not being surprised. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, so our reactions, actual theories of what yeah. was going to happen. Oh, that's yeah. cool. Yeah. So our reactions were the reaction to what we just read mm-hmm. and without knowing what was going to happen. So we did mm-hmm. part one and part two as one podcast and we did part three as two podcasts because it's so big. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then we did part four as a, a last podcast. So I have a question for you guys then. All right. Oh, I'm sorry. No, was, uh, no, go ahead. So my question is, was there anything that uh, surprised you because you were reading it in mm-hmm. chunks in which if you're reading it naturally, you wouldn't ha- take that time to really reflect? You'd be caught along the velocity of the book. So is there anything expectation-wise that really surprised you? Expectation-wise, I'm going to think about that for a second. I think Lysander as a whole with the POV, yeah. I was going to say part of the answering your question is like this reflection I have of doing it in parts is where... Um, you know, we had kind of talked about characters, some of our favorites, why, and 
right? So we were really on this Lysander boat for the first half. And I'm just thinking, like, you know, People the audience it. who's finished the book and now listening to he's, our podcast is going to be like, these, redemption would, these yeah. idiots, I like, be, what is their problem? <laughs> since I read or I finished the book before they did, I was getting the messages from our Instagram. And I'm like, you guys, please read keep reading. So I stopped getting this hate mail for us. Because we were, we were really pro-Lysander. Yeah, they were very um, pro-Lysander. we wanted to believe, we had all the belief. And I, chapter 33, Pierce, it's, you're mm-hmm. throwing up so many alley-oops for him to slam dunk in that chapter. Oh, yeah. Remember Where the ti- are all remember the shepherds the title? gone? Oh, no, oh, that's okay. not, not that, actually. It's the Orlo of Gamma praise. Oh, okay. oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. love that freaking chapter. That, cha- I that chapter was so fun to write. Dude, yeah. it's so good, good because you have, good. it starts off with the Orlo thing. I told everyone on our podcast, this is Darrow. He's stealing, he's basically Darrow at the uh-huh. Institute, mm-hmm. giving the wolf cloaks. People hated that. Um, but I was like, Who, this, is, this is noble, this is just, this is right. This is all these things. And he's telling later in that chapter, telling Lady, Lady Bologna, I want to bring reform to the pinks. And it's just like, all these things are just going his way in that chapter. He seems so awesome. And it, I was completely lulled in. Sure. And people, <laughs> and people did not like that. Because some people one had mm-hmm. either read the book or whether, but yeah, people hated that. Then I was just, I was on his boat. Well, here's the thing. I think that it's okay for people to hate that. That's yeah. not the reaction I would have because mm-hmm. it's okay for you to like that about that, yeah. that section. Because those things are noble. Yeah. Those things are he's doing all right. The things mm-hmm. that he has learned from Darrow. And pro- kind of the frustration people have with Darrow is that he doesn't learn sometimes. <laughs> and so yeah. Lysander is a quick learner and a quick adjuster. And he can do good things and things that are right. But you could hold that to be true, and then this also mm-hmm. to be true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's Lysander is the perfect character to really look at that through. There's many things that are admirable about him, many things admirable about what he does. But boy, do you want to <laughs> fucking punch it. <him>, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And by the end, yeah, you, you get, I mean, well, there's other parts you want to punch yeah. him in, right? But like, but well, there's that, parts you want to punch him in. At the end, you're like, you are the problem with everything. Yeah. <laughs> well, the talk with Mustang <laughs> is the most punchable scene for me with Lysander. Oh, when he, yeah. When, the parlay. when he's projecting. Yeah. Oh, my gosh, dude. It's so oh, exhausting. Yeah. It's like, bro, like, grow up. <laughs> but, and that's, and that's funny because that is before that chapter 33. Mm-hmm. It's like you're playing yo yo with the character really well. well. Because, he, like, we, a lot of times, I think that, we anticipate book characters to be to have an arc that continues to go upward in trajectory yeah. or goes downward in trajectory based on you know uh, kind of this uh, movie idea we have in our head, yeah. like this. It's tight. It's ninety minutes, you right? But it, also, yeah. when they start making when they when they have a moral epiphany, then they only make good decisions. Mm-hmm. I like having a character that he's had his epiphany, then he's him again, mm-hmm. and then he does this, then this, and this, and because that's how you get, I think. Um, the internal shearing forces at play of y- why won't this character do what he can do? Like why mm-hmm. why doesn't he reach his full potential? We've he's he's been given all of the moments to evolve. So why is he still acting this way? Yeah, and it's because we do that. Like if you've mm-hmm. ever had a friend with a drinking problem, you know how many times do you think they've beat it? And mm-hmm. that's the whole problem with having someone that you love with a drinking problem is you have hope for them so many times and you finally end up believing them and then you don't believe them at all. Yeah. And I think that's also interesting to do with characters. Yeah, yes. like falling in love with potential, right? Mm-hmm. 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 Exactly it. Right. Falling in love with potential. And we do that for everything. Oh, yeah. Um, and because especially when we project down what we want them to do. Right. And I think that that's the heart of why people hate Lysander so much. They've seen so many opportunities. Mm-hmm. So many opportunities, which Darrow, even though he's very slow to accept things, Darrow does see, you know, he, it, it does change him to his core. Whereas Lysander, 
he's been changed by things, but he's really refining his methods, mm -hmm. not necessarily his course. And I think that's the thing that is crazy to behold because you're like, he's just getting better at being a villain, um, <laughs> which is really frustrating, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's yeah. true. Yeah. Manipulation and all these things that yeah. are great villain traits. He's yeah. just getting better and better at yeah. them. And like that whole, you know, the name of the book is that, right? And he has mm -hmm. the capacity to, do, to be good. And he still does do good sometimes. Yeah. But because he's done these bad things, the good now, you it's hate him because you know the internal hypocrisy. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. really, I, I love playing with his character. <laughs> it's, I mean, it was still my favorite POV in the book. Mm -hmm. hands down because of the ride that you took us on because mm -hmm. of the yo-yo because it's like I was here and I'm I'm on his wavelength and I'm not and then it's just like I loved I just love that ride thank you yeah it was really fun thank and you. I think the hardest thing is not knowing if what I'm intending to do and intending exactly. yes gets across yeah oh, and that's yeah. that's exactly then so seeing the anger is really fun but then also <laughs> seeing your side of things is is even more fun because the character is constructed to elicit emotions, but also to give you hope and to take it away, to make you root for him, <laughs> make you think he's on yeah. that arc. I mean, the whole thing, Ooh. like the end of A Morning Star, um, the the anger at Severo being shot when Cassius shoots him in the ruse, the great ruse, right? Yeah. It's, there's a lot of things at play there. You're hoping that Cassius has finally reached a point of redemption because you know, <laughs> you can't help but like the guy. Yeah, yeah. You're hoping he's reached a point of redemption. You're hoping Darrow has finally learned not to get fooled by people because he, you know. All, he believes and trusts so much. Trusts so yeah, much. Yeah. And, so you, and so when, and you're also hoping that Severo has a happy ending. Yeah. <laughs> and so when it goes sideways, so many things are getting interrupted. You're disbrokenhearted by Cassie's. Like, how after all this could he still yeah. be this way? Darrow, how could he not have learned? But how could he not? How could he have done anything else? And then mm -hmm. Severo, well, that's just hate. People hate me. <laughs> but it's all those things that are interrupted, which you know I was relying upon because you need people, to, a reader, to be that emotionally pissed off or like that emotionally disturbed to get away with a ruse, because uh, otherwise they'd find out that Darrow's kind of like being very weird in his internal monologue in that section. Mm -hmm. Like he can't outright lie, but he also can't, so his internal monologue shuts down much more so than anything else. He's less reflective in that section by the time we get to the Sovereign's lair, mm -hmm. you know, the Dragon Maw. And it's only because of the emotions in the reader that uh, that sure. section kind of can fly, right? That can the I, ruse can works. I tell you my experience with that real fast? Mm -hmm. Literally, with several like you know like that. <laughs> yeah. That's your favorite, one of your favorite lines. Wait, I'm sorry. We do. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but I got to credit my editor, Mike. Yeah. You told, yeah, you yeah. told me. That. Yeah. Yeah. Gave yeah. me that one. But got up off the couch, jumping up and down, fist pumps. Like just like that was my actual reaction. I was jumping up and down. Like my um, my wife and kids weren't at the house, so I was yeah. like able to just. Luckily. Oh yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I think they would have been in for it. But, you might um, not have noticed. Yeah. <laughs> like oh, I was just that guy being that guy again. Who's um, fuck? Yeah. But no, I was just so into it. I was just like, yes, this is it. This is like this is why I love the series. It was so good. My favorite things are when you can combine uh, a plot. Um, not twist, but um, like the, the, what do they call it? The apex moment. Mm -hmm. What do they call that? Um, Climax? Climax, thank you. Yeah. I could, I don't know, I apex think moment works too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I write words. Same thing. Uh, <laughs> uh, so when you have a climax, not just the end climax, but you have yeah. a climax of a sequence that pairs up with the um, the climax of someone's uh, character arc mm -hmm. and also the climax of what the reader hopes for. And so when they all intersect, you're just like, oh God, like, those are my favorite <laughs> yes. moments. You know, oh, yeah. like, like Darrow jumping up on the table. 
mm-hmm. uh, to Ooh, fight Cassius. Gala. Yeah, yeah. I think it's one of the reasons because he's just like just you know what? wine tip. Yeah, he's just like <laughs> he's like fuck this program. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like yes. <laughs> That's a great moment. Like, so many people have told me that's one of their favorite moments oh, yeah. in the series. Yeah. The wine tip. Yeah. Kind of that one's hard to beat. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I'm honestly, I think that uh, it's probably one of my top three as well. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. That's cool. Well, it's just when I wrote it, I wrote it, I had such confidence in writing that scene because yeah. I, mean, I realized um, what would happen because I didn't know what would happen going in. I didn't have an outline. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought, okay, so let's push Darrow. Darrow doesn't have agency in, so mm-hmm. far. He doesn't have much agency in that sec- in the entire section of the book. It's him finally taking agency. But I'm like, okay, he's been a deep covered op. He's taken everything on uh, operative. He's taken everything on faith. And it's his lessons uh, that he's learned during that time where he's like, you're wrong. Mm-hmm. And he decides to go his own way in the re- starting a rebellion, you know, mm-hmm. starting the gold civil war. And uh, after that, I just had such confidence in his decisions. And so it was really fun as a writer to find that. I think I was That's like- That's cool, get a good stride, yeah, a good flow. Yeah, yeah, and I was still yeah. a pretty young writer when I was writing that, so. It, it feels mm-hmm. weird to hear to say that. Um, like, because you feel, I, I feel Golden Sun is such a mature book still. I was 24. Awesome, dude, well, like, it's, that book's great. Thank you, man. Yeah. But it's also like the things, I've only read like two YA books in my life. And mm-hmm. so, it's, you know, and so- <laughs> the, Only two. Only two, yeah. well, Red Rising, maybe, th- well, two series, you know? Yeah. Um, and so Red Rising was, uh, you know, it's a crossover book. It's not YA and it's it is adult, but it has some YA stuff in there. Um, but with Golden Sun, it was like, okay, this is my wet dream. Like, I, 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 I want Romans in space, houses going to war, oh, invasions. Yeah. You said that a lot better than I should have probably just used that phrase. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Pierce's wet dream. Yeah. Yeah. Pierce's wet dream. Golden Sun, also known as. Yeah. <laughs> Put that on the, but then repress so it. The 10 year anniversary or whatever. Yeah, it's it's the, just like in there. Yeah, it's yeah. like that Blood Meridian title. Blood Meridian or oh, Evening yeah. Redness in the West. It's Golden Sun oh, or, an, or an Evening Wetness with Brown. <laughs> Wait. Oh, God. <laughs> new novella coming out. A new novella. Yeah. <laughs> well, I always thought, like, you know, creators should really get ahead on their own porn spinoffs. Oh. <laughs> you take advantage of that. Now we yeah. know what, what you're doing in the side. <laughs> you know, you live in LA for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> Having access to great mints is an absolute must. And neural mints hit all the check boxes. They taste great, they freshen your breath. And of course, they have that added neuro benefit. For example, my favorite, the honey lemon mints. These promote a positive state of mind and help reduce stress. All neuro mints are vegan, sugar-free, aspartame-free, and gluten-free. And with our promo code, you can get 15% off your order. Go to getneuro.com and punch in Hail Bieber Pod at checkout. That's getneuro, G-E-T-N-E-U-R-O and use Hail Beaver Pod as your promo code. Order today. I, I think jumping back to, to Lightbringer, mm-hmm. you know, with your original question, Pierce, um, subverting, subverting expectations, I don't know so much about, but subverting hopes with the Lysander POV. So it was Lysander as well. That was my favorite by the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and Mustang is my favorite character of the series. Mm-hmm. But I know where she's going to end, right? The, the trip is the fun part with you. Mm-hmm. I know the destination. Mm-hmm. And with, that's true of a lot of characters. Um, but Lysander, I don't know what the hell he's going to do. And it just leaves me hoping for, for the good of humanity, right? And, mm-hmm. and for his redemption. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I've said that a lot. But uh, 
you know, we didn't get it. <laughs> He's going to build a safer world. That's right. <laughs> a more peaceful, I, just society. Yes. Over the bodies of everyone. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Yeah. Just take away control from everybody. Right. No, I, appreciate, I appreciate that, though. Yeah, and um, especially Mustang being your favorite. Um, I, I, did you read it? You you read it in paper, so you didn't have the digital, so you could see there was... Some people read it in the digital, and okay. then they... I hate how mm -hmm. digital books then show the chapter headings, oh. and so they can mm -hmm. see that there's no more Mustang chapters after a certain point. I, oh, yeah, I looked ahead. That. Yeah. yeah, I looked ahead. Yeah. So I knew, even with the paper, I looked. I was mm -hmm. like, yeah, I gotta check it out. Yeah, and I thought about doing a touchstone at the end with her chapter, mm -hmm. uh, like a chapter like back on Mars is happening, so we could feel... Oh, that would be so cool. You know, yeah. and I was thinking about it and thinking about the, like seeing the skies darken with Atlantis ships showing up or whatnot. Yeah. But then I thought part of the... Doing that... I think part of it, part of the the Darrow's journey outward is not knowing, mm. and so for me, mm -hmm. and it, it being Darrow's book, mm -hmm. I think I had to go back to the heart of the series, which is not showing everything like a like a like a like a Game of Thrones series. Game of Thrones series would end with you know like a, a Virginia, you know a Virginia POV or whatever mm -hmm. at the end, and seeing Atlantis sh Atlantis ships coming. But I thought it was more like the original series to go back and just Darrow doesn't know, yeah. and that's okay. And it's part of his journey outward that he's, it's everything about hope. Mm -hmm. He doesn't know how the war has turned out. That's one of the best parts about the ending. As sad as it is, it's his, it's that taking Pax's key, mm -hmm. giving that prayer, like mm -hmm. I'm coming home. I have an yeah. army. I have an armada. I love that. That yeah. gets so good. So <laughs> I'm a big fan of this too. Yeah, but <laughs> if you were to, like, you damn, you were to, no, it's like, that really well. No, it's just it's, it's so frustrating. Like yeah. trying to get it all to come together. And when it comes together, yeah. I'm just like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> but if you had. A Mustang, and even if it was before that mm -hmm. or after yeah. that, it doesn't matter. It would feel like it would violate that prayer. It, it would it, and violate that tone and violate mm -hmm. that scene with Cassius, uh, in, uh, the scene with, uh, in Cassius's room. Yes. Mm -hmm. And it, it just didn't work. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do a couple more. Yeah. All right. Um, this one is from Rabbi Renaissance, who wants me to tell you that she's a girl. Because last time I asked a question, <laughs> we referred to her as a he, and I got crap for it. Love Sorry. you, Sorry. <laughs> we got you oh. this time, girl. Is Lysander similar to Anakin, as in, is he an example of nature versus nurture, in that he may not have ended up in his current state if he had grown up with less loss, slash trauma, and better influences in his life? He's not intentionally a mirror of Anakin, but in many ways, yeah, because they're on a similar journey to a mm -hmm. degree. I think what is most similar with them is the mentor character and then the potential. And you can see the potential, and you saw the potential in Anakin. Okay. Everyone saw the potential in Anakin. Everyone sees the potential in life. You were the chosen one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> nice pull. That was good. And I know. I try. <laughs> I think that uh, we are we and all the characters would be very different if we were raised in different circumstances. Oh, yeah. yeah, but with Lysander, heck, if, if Cassius, had, Cassius had been in a better place, if Cassius had mentored him now at 33 as opposed to at 23, mm. Lysander would not be doing what he's doing. And so Cassius is, a, is as, not as much at fault, but it's also you know, part of the potent brew that made Lysander. And so I think if any of those things has changed, he would be different. I can't mm -hmm. say how he'd be different because I'd have to really deep dive into his character. Mm -hmm. But say, for instance, with Cassius, if Cassius wasn't so lost in the bottle, if Cassius wasn't so kind of rudderless um, and also was not mm. wanting him to be Julian and then closing off when he did try to be Julian, then Lysander would have learned a different type of love. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but instead, he 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 always had that shield that he learned to put around himself too, because he was tired of getting trying to get close to Cassius, only for Cassius, Cassius to wall up. Mm-hmm. And while Cassius is, you know, one of the most compelling and lovely characters, he's not without fault. And I think that Lysander and him were just too young and hadn't learned it, weren't wise enough mm-hmm. to know better. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can't imagine trying to raise someone at, that was already 10 years old when you're like 23. Like, I, like that seems impossible. Yeah, right. Um, but yeah, like that chapter 83 is when they have that talk and they're talking and then he's, and Lysander even says, I, I can't believe I didn't know how much I wanted to hear him say that, say apologize that, yeah. for those things. All right. It's like, oh, it's so heavy. That's one of my favorite chapters too. I, I mean, that moment sticks out. That, yeah, that, that scene writing with them, like, yeah, that was, it's amazing when you find yourself, you know, at a point of the book that you did not think was the point of the book yes. mm-hmm. or the point of the characters. And then you real you write that. And that's why I love rewriting. That's why I like second and third drafts the best mm. because I'll be, you'll be writing that scene and you'll find out, oh my God, this is what all of this is driving towards. Yeah. And so, you know, Lysander trying to have relationships, like trying to have a friendship with Ajax and a brotherhood relationship mm-hmm. with Ajax. But he sees the ways it can't happen. Tries with Cicero. He tries to connect with people, right? Mm-hmm. But it's yeah. all that initial wound of not being able to connect with Cassius um, that I think is that until he recovers from that, he can't have intimacy um, mm-hmm. with others. That was the re- that was the reunion I wanted. Like everyone's like going to yeah. going into Lightbringer. Everyone's like, I want to see the Pax and Virginia and Daryl reunion. I'm like, just give me the Cassius Lysander reunion. Oh, man. That's what I want. And I thought about doing that on a battlefield, but <laughs> oh, I, man. Uh, I thought, <laughs> yeah. no, nope, it has to. In the end, if it's an interesting relationship, it has to. I think two guys or two girls, you know, two characters in a room. Mm-hmm. That's what we need more of mm-hmm. because everything else big that happens before informs the big emotions that are in that room. And if there's big stuff happening around them and there's distractions, then we can't get to the heart of the issue. Mm-hmm. And so I, but I discovered that too, you know, hmm. with them in that mm-hmm. room. And when, when I've had that conversation, that back and forth between them, um, oh, the, it really, the book really started, I really started finding the, the heartstrings of the book. Because mm. um, Darrow, Darrow's the spine of the book, but Cassius is the heart. Yes. Yeah. 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 That's like that's beautifully said. I am before Lysander shoots Cassius, and he talks about taking him to the candy, like Emporium. Eros. I was yeah. like, why you gotta reminisce like that? I know. Like, yeah. right before, I know. That, you know. That really was mean. That yeah. was just me doing this. Oh, 100 percent. Like it, here's some salt. It made it what it was though. <laughs> It doesn't. It doesn't get to that level, that visceral level, without yeah. something like that. There. Yeah. yeah, like presupposing the actions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the things that gets me is when Lysander goes back to his his room and he sees Cassius's indentation in the couch still. Yeah, okay. yeah. Because I don't know if, if you've lost anyone uh, close to you. My thing that I've that it's always messed me up the most is seeing their closet or their possessions, yeah. mm-hmm. which no longer have any meaning because they'll never wear them again. Yeah, and it's just stuff. You know, there's certain things, perhaps keepsakes. Now, yeah. then they take on a almost, um, almost like a relic quality. Yeah. But uh, it's the when it's robbed of meaning, and that indentation in the couch is just. Oof, I don't know why that got me. Hold on, allergies. Oh, that's yeah. that's big. <laughs> you got a lot of widows and widowers who won't empty the closet, or there's yeah. a coffee cup that hasn't been washed, yeah. or, or something like that. It's like yeah. the stuff doesn't have meaning, but then it's also sacred. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And how could you throw it away? Right. <laughs> Now I'm going to wonder if they're going to keep Cassius's room, you know, just like pristine. We'll see. 
<laughs> we'll see. Um, last question. Mom's the word. <laughs> last question. Mm. Has Atlas been, oh, this is from Data. Has Atlas been disguised before and we just weren't aware? Uh, has Atlas been disguised? You hint at it, or they say it's there's like, not like last there. time. Yeah, and there's so now we want, yeah. we want the confirmation. His Violet or his, one of his workers, one of his Gorgon workers. Yeah, I mean, the problem is Atlas is still very tall, mm-hmm. so mm. he can only really masquerade as golds <laughs> or obsidians. Yeah. Um, so he's a bit limited. And I also don't want it to be a kind of Mission Impossible 2 thing where anyone can be <laughs> 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 Exactly. Like there's another one Is underneath. it Darrow or yeah. Atlas? <laughs> exactly. Like that, that. So I didn't... I, 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 I'll try not to use the same gag too many times because yeah. then you'll be constantly wondering and, yeah. and, and also not believing anything. And so I'll say... I'll just... I won't clarify that. Okay. Because. We'll just leave it with a wink. Yes. Okay. I love yeah. that. I love that. It's like some people refuse to believe he's dead still mm-hmm. as oh. well. Oh, yeah. Well, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, whoever was doppelganging, doppelganging has to be good enough to take on Cassius. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah. So that's, that, a, that's a tall feat. That's for a, sure. That is, a, that is a hard thing to accomplish. Um, and so, I mean, I guess I can say authoritative. I don't, I don't know. I can't give you... I'm not going to weigh in until the series is all done. He's still leaving it with a wink, think, guys. <laughs> I sometimes think that I, the theories are part of what makes it fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to say anything. People send us stuff on Instagram all the, all time. the time. Like, it's like, hey, I have a theory for you. And they want us to shoot it down. And I'm like, well, I'm, I'm not an expert. I'm just a fan. <laughs> and so it's hard for me to do that. Yeah, one but, of the wildest yeah. I heard was that... Mustang is actually Eo who was carved as well. People oh, say, I yeah, heard that. that's a big one. And I'm like, how? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I think Nero would know. Like, yeah. uh, let's put that one to bed right now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm putting that we one don't to need to wait for I'm that one. one. <laughs> There's not much all correct, but like, right. come on. <laughs> the Eo that would be the ultimate gotcha. Like at the end. Yeah. Oh, watch, oh my gosh. Wait for the last, she's the last scene of the book, <laughs> and, and, like, and she's like, I am Eo. Oh, dude. And then roll credits, like, done. No, I actually, I'll tell you guys the last scene. Last scene is Darrow wakes in a hospital. He was actually a bike messenger in Portland. Oh, my God. By an Uber. Inception. Yeah. It's like a lost yeah. thing or yeah. something. Yeah. Yeah. It was yeah. all yeah. a dream. All really yeah. dead. Yeah. Yeah. He's been in the ICU the whole time. Yeah, exactly. There's the other EO one where she is, um, she was a son of Aries, like, all along, and mm. she, did, she like, kind yeah. of oh, yeah. spurred it on. And uh, so there's, like, a lot of stuff. I think, that, I think that one has a bit more teeth and... Um, is is completely that, that's completely possible, right? Yeah. Because uh, we're never in Eo's head. She could have been a sympathizer. She could have been a runner. She could have been any of those yeah. things. Um, wasn't my uh, initial intention. Yeah. Um, but it's entirely possible based on the vague the vagueness of certain aspects. I think that it, but it makes the sacrifice feel artificial at the same time a little bit. Where it's like there's yeah. the the sacrifice is so beautiful. It's mm-hmm. like it's her. You know, it's her cry. It's her break, then break the chains. And mm-hmm. if you have her be an undercover agent, it kind of makes it seem like it. I don't know. It doesn't seem yeah, as, like as authentic. Yeah, like she was the spark, me. you know. Yeah, and to, to me. Have that. But that's that's so. Maybe that's the carving they're referring to of Atlas. <laughs> Eo. It was actually Eo. <laughs> I, I, I think you're right, and it, it does change it quite a bit. I think that there's many different types of agents. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. she could still be Eo, but literally her job is to um, pass a piece of a data chip that she gets from someone else to someone mm-hmm. else. Mm-hmm. And so she doesn't know anything. She's doing mm-hmm. all she can. And that's just a like that that could exist, but it was never intended to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because yeah. I agree with you. I think part of the beauty of it is that cry. That's all yeah. she has. Yeah. Yeah. That's well that's what Nero says. One of my favorite quotes in the whole series is 
you know, steel is power, money is power, but more than all things in all the world's words are power. And that's like Nero is ironically saying that to Darrow at the end of Red yep. Rising about <laughs> pretty much about his wife. Yeah. And so, but if that words are really the most powerful thing, then it, it reflects back to Eo at the beginning of the book and mm-hmm. says this, the real person with power in this world and this series is really her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But if she was doing it as like an, you know, an agent or an employee, you know, not, em- not employee, but you know what I mean? As a strategy. Yeah, a strat- yeah, yeah. But that doesn't, that doesn't make it as powerful to me, I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. No, I, I agree with you on that. that yeah. That, that, yeah. So. Um, but there's so many theories. This is why I don't read Reddit. This is why I don't you read should. blogs. I just can't. Yeah. I, I did read it a lot right when Lightbringer came out because uh-huh. I wanted to see the reactions. Uh-huh. Um, so it's something I don't go on too often, but I did a ton to see the, uh, to disagree with people mostly, you know, to, but at the same time, I didn't ever commented. I don't, I don't comment, but I, I, I lurk. Yeah. The only, uh, yeah. the only time I've ever commented on Reddit is when I did an AMA. The, yeah, mm-hmm. smart. That, that's it. But I love seeing this people's instant reaction because you could tell people were finishing Lightbringer and literally the next thing they did was get on a keyboard and be like, da, da, da. You know, it's like, <laughs> oh so, my God. and that was kind of fun. It was entertaining, oh, yeah. if anything. Yeah. Entertaining. I don't yeah. know if they finished the book in some cases. What's up? Mm-hmm. I said, I'm not even sure they finished the book before they started <laughs> yeah. keyboard warring. Some, after chapter 84, I think they just got on and were like, let's yeah. go. Yeah. So. Yeah. And that's something that I think that should always stay out of. I, I, I would say this. What's the one superpower you people talk about having as a kid? that uh, you think you want, and it's mm-hmm. being able to read minds, right? Mm-hmm. And you get to be an adult, you realize that That's would be terrifying. Hell. I would be hate terrifying. that. And I look at a, an author reading their Reddit page as reading minds. Yeah. You don't want to know ever, you want to know mm-hmm. it all, yeah. because it's not all correct, it's just opinions. And, and and if you were there, they wouldn't say some of the stuff they say. Mm-hmm. You know, So it's like, it's literally like reading minds, and I just think it's not healthy. Yeah. And it drive, can drive you crazy. And also lead you down so many rabbit holes. Yeah, last time I think I read, read Reddit was like in Iron Gold maybe, and people were like, oh, dude, were like, oh. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh yeah, well people like tearing on it, but I also knew that I'm construct like it, how to say it when you're writing a trilogy, and I've always, uh, while I write by the seat of my pants, a lot of times I always know tonally and mm-hmm. what each book is going to be, what it, yeah. like and what they're going to be together, mm-hmm. and so I know in Iron Gold you're not getting what you think you want. Yes, but the four books when they stand together with the seven books, it's going to work. Yeah. Well, we've told you that Jeremy and I, it's our favorite book in the series, is Iron Gold. Oh, really? But yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. But no, it's okay. Yeah, you don't yeah. have to remember everything about yeah. us. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. <laughs> I'm the dark age fan here. <laughs> but, but yeah, like it's just, it doesn't get, I wouldn't say dismissed. It doesn't get dismissed, but people, it just subverted their expectations and mm-hmm. people just kind of still, because you see people coming into the series all the time still. And they are um, just, they want to, I want to go back to that same place yeah, and yeah. you don't give that. Yeah. And then they get like a little bummed about it, but yeah. we love that. But I always <laughs> knew that, I always felt that the end of the series will be going back to that same place. It did. Yeah. And I think Lightbringer is the one that felt most like the original series because the characters and war is making it seem so alien. And these, char- these characters are getting lost from themselves, lost in war, just like their moral cause is getting mm-hmm. lost in war. And then it takes Lightbringer to bring them back yeah. by going far out. For sure. You know, and uh, so I, when I was reading Iron Gold, I'm like, yeah, because you're judging this book only on itself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's fair because the other books hadn't come out yet. They hadn't even been written. But that's something that an author, if they then become, try to try to uh, satisfy the audience as opposed to doing what they think is inherently true, can sometimes jeopardize the story. Hail Reaper is Jeremy, Mathar, Janelle, and myself, Philip. 
The podcast is inspired by Pierce Brown's amazing Red Rising Saga. All artwork was done by friend of the podcast, Jeff Halsey. To follow Hell Reaper, you can find us on Instagram, YouTube, Etsy, and X at Hail Reaper Pod. We want to thank everyone for listening, especially our patrons. If you want to learn how to become one of our patrons and get additional content, check out patreon.com slash Hail Reaper. If you enjoy listening, please leave a five-star review wherever you get your podcast and make sure to tell a friend about us. We love having the opportunity to reach people who are passionate about Red Rising. Until next time, Hail Reaper.